Hello and welcome everyone to the Adam Dearest podcast. Great to have you with me. Today I am joined by musical theatre composer Jai Bryant. Jai, how you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. I'm good, I'm good. Are you nice and comfy at home in a good chair? Yep. I am where I've spent most of the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just stuck in, your, stuck in your jammies. That's it. Yeah, that's the way. Uh, so, um, as I said, you're a musical theatre composer. You grew up uh, Western Sydney. Just correct me if I say anything anything yeah. wrong. Uh, you've been yeah, yeah. you've been playing the piano since you were five. Uh, was that the yeah. first instrument that caught your eye? Yeah, piano was. Um, I'm, my mum says when I was about three, uh, watching TV, I saw a piano player and turned to her and said, "That's what I want to do." And my parents and my whole family is not very musical. So she was a little bit surprised by that. And then by the time that I was five, after nagging for a few years, she finally put me into piano lessons, which was useful. And then I sort of stuck at piano ever since. Yeah, fantastic. And do you, do you play any other instruments? Uh, not really. So piano mostly. I, I studied guitar for a bit, voice, drums for a little bit as well. But no, yeah. nothing, nothing else. Yeah, that's all good. And so with... Piano, what were you playing early on? Was it Were musicals uh, a part of your life early on or was it just music in general? Um, yeah, music in general, probably pop and rock sort of stuff initially, maybe a little bit of classical, a little bit of jazz. Uh, musicals didn't really enter my life till I was about 12. Before that point, I don't know that I, I even really knew what musicals were. I don't know. It's a strange, strange thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was there a musical that, that grabbed you? you can think of. Uh, well, the first musical I saw was Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess at that time, because I'd been so pop and rock focused, that really made a lot of sense to me on a, on a musical level. So from there, I thought, wow, this is something that's really quite special. At that, you know, that was yeah, really quite an experience. So from there, that, that really got me interested in, in musical theatre. Great. And so you saw that in Sydney? No, it was a, it was a community theatre production I saw. Um, and it was actually a very good production of it, and and I thought, wow, what, this style is really, really exciting. So yeah, community theatre. Who would have yeah, thought? Yeah, uh, it's a great, it's a gateway drug. Um, it's <laughs> and so yeah, obviously you know throughout your teenage years, um, I'm guessing that your love for musicals grew. Yeah, well, it was that um, not long after I saw that production of Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, my auntie then had joined a production of Jesus Christ Superstar somewhere else. Uh, and then the following production they had, she said, we need more males. She said, why don't you come along and be in the chorus? Now, I can't sing or dance or act. <laughs> I can just play a little bit of piano. Yeah. Uh, so, And so I'd sort of thought, okay, well, why not? So I, I went along and from that point on, obviously met a lot of different people and whatever else and that was the beginning of my love for being involved in musicals not just watching them and I guess fairly soon after that I I sort of realized that I actually wanted to have a go at writing a musical mm-hmm. um, and so while I was in high school that was when I started to write my first musical right and so that turned into Sleeping Beautifully uh, no, so this was one that was before that, which was one that I never ended up finishing, but um, there's probably about half an hour of it that I finished writing. Um, 
So Sleeping Beautifully was the first staged uh, show that I'd written, which was sort of a pantomime that was a part of the theatre company I was involved in at that point. Um, they knew that I you know, was interested in writing musicals. They wanted a pantomime written for the end of the year. So they linked me up with a playwright that was involved in the society and then he and I wrote it together in about three weeks, I think it was. Um, so from there, that's when I, that was my first, my first time of writing something and then putting it in front of an audience. Right. Um, we had a rock band, uh, which I arranged for. It was, it was fun. How did that feel, you know, presenting your work to strangers? Uh, I think at the time it was probably a bit nerve wracking to just see if it would work, you know, cause some of it I thought in hindsight was probably a little bit basic. There's a lot of things I would have done very differently, but yep. being the first production that was staged of mine was, was exciting because you know, this was the first opportunity to then see sort of a full length show over a period of a, a couple of months. And there was a fairly big cast for it. Um, just see that evolve from notes I'd written on a page with alongside the playwright to then that being staged then, um, a whole weekend i think it was probably about four shows or something yeah great so it, it all went well no one died no that's <laughs> it exactly uh, but from there i guess i learned a lot of a lot of things about writing shows that you know next the next year then i did something a bit differently the year and then every time i'd stage something or, or write it and stage it it would then um it'd probably get a little bit better and a little yeah. bit more refined and a little bit uh yeah it's, it's sort of a that very gradual growth process, I think. And so that's, you know, you've written, what is it, like 11 or 12 musicals? Is that right? Or over 10? Yeah, something like something that. Like that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. 378? It's probably over, it's over 10. Over yeah. 10. <laughs> Not, Not yet. yet. <laughs> uh, and so a couple of years ago, you, <laughs> a couple of years ago, you put together a book called Writing and Staging a Musical. Would you be able to just talk about that? What inspired you to do yeah. to do that? Yeah, so uh, I guess it's one of those things that when you're writing and when you're staging your own shows, um, after a while you start to use the same sort of templates and things that you used last time. You know, you sort of get a little bit of a bank of stuff that you use. So, um, and usually when I'm writing a show, I like to sort of there's a particular order I like to do things in. So, I created sort of by chance, really, uh, a whole heap of different templates and things that are useful, and I use them myself. And mm. so I was going to compile them into a, into a book just for my own use, ultimately, but a few friends were saying, this is something that's going to be really useful. You know, why don't you, why don't you make it into a book and people can buy it that way? So initially I was a bit sceptical. I thought, yeah, well, why not? So I gave it a go, put them all into uh, a book, a whole heap of chapters in there about all the different stages, um, and it's it's worked. It sort of sells constantly, really. Like it's a it's one of those things that sort of surprised me after all this time that people are still buying it. I'm always getting emails off people over the, all over the world saying, you know, oh, I, I've just read your book. Can you help me? I've just you know I've got this particular issue. Is is there some sort of solution you would suggest or whatever? That's exciting. Oh, fantastic! And so the what would be you know maybe two tips you'd give someone that is looking to write a musical? Oh, just two. There's lots of <laughs> well, tips I'd like to give. You give but, as many, as, as, many um, as you want. I didn't want to overwhelm you with 50 options. 
uh, probably one of the first, I think maybe maybe one of the key things is just find something like a story or a concept that you think sings. Mm -hmm. I don't think every show idea works well with songs. Like I, I often think uh, when I see some shows, I think, oh, that's cringy. That's so, so cringy. And I think musical theatre can often be a little bit cringy, especially when people are just randomly singing for no reason. Mm -hmm. you, is um, there a musical? And I think yeah. that's uh, for a, No, sorry. I was just thinking, is there a musical you've watched? <laughs> a lot like, of people struggle terrible. with that, don't they? Yeah. Oh, there's a few. There's, there, are, <laughs> there are plenty where um, I just – but the thing is other people really quite enjoy that and, and they can suspend belief, I guess. You know, like it's sort of this idea of just bursting in the song, it works for them. For me, I struggle a little bit with that idea. I love musicals, but I struggle with the idea of just randomly singing. Um, yeah, right. And I so guess I would say my piece of advice really would be – No, it's okay. I was just going to say, I mean, you're looking at it from a technical point of view, so I guess you're, you're picking it apart as well. A little bit, a little bit, but uh, I guess yeah, that's that's sort of my piece of advice is just find something that sings, something that leans toward really exaggerated uh, points of emotion, maybe. Uh, so yeah, or you could buy the book and just find out. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, well, that's all right. They've got a bit of a taste. They can. Uh, where can they actually get the book if they want to? <laughs> uh, it's available on Amazon. Amazon. Okay, great. Cool. The, the company that's taken over the world. Awesome. Well, that's <laughs> it, and I'm just yeah, a part of you're that. You're part I? of the machine now. <laughs> uh, and so more more recently, your latest uh, <laughs> musical that you've putting together is called Captain Moonlight. Uh, would you be able to just touch on that? That's, that's a yeah. story about Australian bush ranger uh, George Scott. How did that come about? Yeah. Um, so Captain Moonlight is a really interesting Australian story, which I think probably very few people know about, although I think in recent years um, people know a little bit more about him. But he, I guess, would be the the bush ranger that we might consider to be Australia's um, first, uh, mm -hmm. maybe first gay bush ranger, potentially, um, based on uh, the letters that he uh, wrote about uh, his relationship with his fellow bush ranger James Nesbitt. Uh, so it's an interesting story, and it's one that is interesting to me, being that I live in Sydney and that the story ends in Sydney at Darlinghurst Jail. Which um, I just think there's a lot of interesting points to the story. So uh, that show, I had I'd actually discovered a book about Captain Moonlight years ago. I read it. I thought, this is really interesting. I'd like to turn it into a stage show, but no idea how I'd do it. So it sort of sat on my shelf for a very long time. Mm -hmm. and then I read a different book a few years later about Captain Moonlight uh, and found um, in the book they talked about Captain Moonlight's death cell letters. And I thought, I wonder if I could find these death cell letters because the death cell letters could be the basis of the musical if I could find them. I uh, did a little bit of research, found them, um, which was really quite amazing. And so I've used that then as the basis for the show. So the whole show is then set the night before Captain Moonlight's execution at Darlinghurst Jail. And he sort of recaps on everything that led him to that moment. And from his point of view, a lot of that is... Uh, unjust and you know there's quite a few historians that i've spoken to over the last few years about captain moonlight 
Um, and they often talk about you know some of those those elements in, in his story uh, and whether it's sort of trial by media. Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot to it. It's a really quite interesting story. So that's what I've explored theatrically. Right, yeah. And so, I mean, you've, yeah, like, you've written all the music, everything's ready to go. That was set to be performed this year in uh, July 22nd to 25th. Yeah. What, what's, uh, how are you going to move yeah. forward with that now, given COVID-19 and all that jazz? Yeah, um, we don't know yet. <laughs> we will just wait and see. We're, we're sort of just on standby a little bit. Uh, we are just waiting and, you know, we'll just see what the next few weeks holds. Um, and, you know, I, this is this is not something that just affects us, obviously, creatively. This Across the world, we, we know that this is the deal, isn't it? That a lot of people uh, in all different industries, but particularly in performing arts, have had to postpone shows, put things off. Um, and the question is, when this is finished, what will our industry look like? What will audiences look like? Will audiences be willing to go back to the theatre? Uh, yeah, there's so many questions that we don't really know. So we're just um, we're just waiting a little bit, and we will just, over the next few weeks, hopefully, we might have some clarity around what, the future looks like yeah absolutely i mean you're right it's a difficult time for many people around the world particularly uh well, at least in terms of work for artists uh yeah i've seen you know people rehearsing online i've seen shows being put online have, have you guys mm. been uh meeting up online chatting and rehearsing anything yeah yeah so we we did have an initial read through um which was online which which was fine um it's sort of a weird way to interact with people on a theatrical level it's sort of it's a bit odd because obviously there are time delays and sort of things like that but um i guess it's all about being flexible at this point as well isn't it we just sort mm. of have to wait and see and just make the best of the time that we have while we're sort of isolated <laughs> yeah yeah um and i was wondering about casting for that because i mean as you said earlier there's there's usually a need for more male performers. They can be a bit few and far between. Was that was it pretty easy to to find uh, yeah. enough talented guys here in Sydney? It actually was. Yeah, we had a lot of interest, uh, which was exciting. It, it sort of is a bit tricky because relying on five men um, sort of goes against a, a lot of my philosophies in writing shows, and particularly for trying to have them uh, you know, multicultural and on all types of things. So having a, an all-white male cast is sort of a bit tricky. But being that it's mm. historic, um, it's it's sort of, yeah, it, it allows it, I think. But it, it sort of is, it's a bit tricky. Finding the cast actually was very easy because there was so, uh, so much interest, which I wasn't really sure about because I thought it's sort of structurally it's a bit different to traditional musicals, this show. So I, I thought... Are we going to find the people we need? But yes, yeah, so having a uh, an all white male cast is contrary to my philosophies when it comes to casting and writing shows. But I think this story is just an important one that needs to be told. So that's why um, it sort of needs to be all white men to be historically accurate. Um, so in terms of finding that cast was fairly easy. We had a lot of interest, which was useful. So um, it made our job 
really quite easy. So let's hope we get to see that cast on stage. <laughs> yes, that that'd be, that'd be great. Um, yeah, I mean, and uh, as you were saying, with the impact that um, COVID nineteen's had on on artists around the world, how do you see things moving forward? I mean, is it just a period of we we don't know, or are there are there things that you've observed? in your creative process that you think, oh, I'm actually going to keep that and take that forward? I thought I would go a little bit insane being trapped inside all the time. (laughs) Uh, But it's actually been surprisingly easy. And and I've seen plenty of memes on Facebook that sort of highlight the idea of isolation and how composers have been self-isolating for generations, which is sort of fairly true. That's why, you know, the same thing. If you're a musician, often, um, especially if you're as a young person or a child um, learning an instrument, you spend a lot of time and a lot of your free time inside on your instrument. So it's almost not really new to musicians and composers. Uh, But some of the things that I have, it's it's quite bizarre. Um, So one thing I have realised, though, is just the amount of time that I can spend inside writing and dedicating my time to task when there is limited distraction in the outside world being sort of a, an extrovert i'm always out in the world around people and places and energy so being stuck at home has meant that i've actually got rid of a lot of those distractions it's actually been very fruitful on a creative platform yeah great and, and so how do you see because i mean i'm just looking at you know, funding and how the government's distributing cash and, you know, in the industries in Australia, yeah. it's over a hundred and I think it's $111 billion industry. Is there any, how do you see creatives bouncing back from that? Is there a, I mean. Yeah, I think it's a, it's going to be tricky. Uh, the reality is people, that's it. People, people will bounce back. It's, you know, it's, Provided there are audiences that are willing to watch and and have money to to pay to come to shows, that then the industry will bounce back. It obviously has been devastating for a lot of people during this time, and I don't know that um, the support has really been there. But after all of this is done, you know, the the industry will be back and and stronger than ever. And if people have been using this time. Uh, on a creative level, to to hone their skills, to work on new material, it it may not necessarily be um, you know as bad as as it feels at the moment. Maybe. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there's obviously they're creative. They'll come up with some new ideas, and I'm sure we'll find a hopefully find a way to get through. I think I do think people underestimate the importance of the industry. I mean, in, in terms of everyone's being ice in in isolation they're looking to the industry to keep them entertained and and uh, give them something to watch, yet, you know, the government's kind of dropping the ball in, in giving them financial support. It is interesting, isn't it? Because I've seen plenty of memes on Facebook highlighting, you know, that um, how, how we don't really need sports people and entertainers and all of these types of things. But I would argue that while people have been in isolation – would they have coped without those people, you know, online to entertain them? And, you know, would they have survived without Netflix? Would they have survived without YouTube? Uh, so we would probably say that the industry is far more important than than maybe a lot of people are sort of minimizing it in some ways, maybe. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree for sure. 
Um, and so I just want to chat a bit, uh, just sort of changing lanes a little bit. In, in the creative process, are the things that you've found, and maybe some of these things are in, in your book, Writing and Staging a Musical, what are some of the things you've found worked when maybe you're, you're not feeling particularly creative, there's a bit of a block, you're not going anywhere? What, what's helped you? Uh, well, I was talking to a, a colleague yesterday um, who's a playwright, and we were talking about exactly that. And uh, ultimately, as I said to him yesterday, I very rarely feel like writing, uh, but I continue to do it. Um, and I'm not, right. I'm not entirely certain why that is, but uh, generally I, there, there, I find that mid-afternoon is a, is a creative issue for me. I, I really find it very difficult to be creative, especially in the afternoon. So I usually do admin in that time, uh, and I do things that don't require creative energy, and sometimes uh, that actually then sort of inspires me to then do the creative things. So. Uh, so, for instance, um, you know, this week I've been writing a few songs for a new show, um, and again, a lot of the week I haven't really felt like doing it, and I, it's I've not been particularly creative. Uh, but I I've got a whole heap of things I want to do, so I go, okay, well, here's the song that I want to work on this week. I'm not feeling creative, so I'm just going to sit in the garden and I'm just going to brainstorm words and phrases on this particular song, um, which I might do for sort of half an hour, an hour with a coffee. And then sure enough, by the time that I've usually finished doing that, I sort of feel a little bit more inspired mm-hmm. than I did beforehand. So usually that sort of stuff is how I tend to get myself into writing because um, so often creativity will not be your friend and will not always turn up when you want it to. Right. So there's this sort of you've got to, you know, actively engage it in a sense. Yeah. You, you, I mean, I've heard plenty of creatives saying, I can only be creative mm-hmm. when I, the moment hits me, yeah. when I get the magical fairy yeah. dust. Uh, but would you say that sometimes you've just got to, you know, you've, you've got to be disciplined and just yeah. sit down and try and do something? Yeah, of course. And I think that it's a little bit like, you know, you, you wouldn't have someone like, uh, probably a bad example, but you wouldn't have a brain surgeon going, you know, I just don't feel inspired to work on this person's brain today. <laughs> you know, it just wouldn't really work, would it? Uh, and I think that it comes down to, uh, as a creative person, you have skills and you have tools and you have strategies um, and you're not always going to feel like doing the thing that you do, but that's where you engage the things that you know how to do. So for me, I could then sit at the piano for half an hour fiddling around trying to find sounds that I like or whatever, it's not, um, I'm not you know, making anything particularly amazing, but I'm using skills that I've learned over the years that eventually then take me to the places that I need to. So it comes down to craft. And I think a lot of the time we don't need inspiration for craft because craft is something we learn and, and develop over time, if that makes sense. No, that's that's great. That's brilliant advice. That's really good. Uh, and so you found that uh, sort of in the morning that's your most – the best time for your brain and connecting. Yeah. Everything. So usually early morning is good for me and then late afternoon and nice. They're, they're sort of the main areas that I tend to do most writing. Um, I find that afternoons is just a, that's a yeah. big problem for my brain. My brain struggles. Yeah. <laughs> that, that mid, mid afternoon slump. That's it. And, and that's, it's, yeah. I think it's important to acknowledge. No, I, that. I think a lot of people would can relate to that. I can. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, it's, you know, often 
creative people will say that like late at night and you know two o'clock in the morning all those times are really good for them and that they're really creative at those times um and that's i always find that's true as well i, I usually in bed by nine so <laughs> i don't get to see 2 a.m very often um but i think often in those times it's because the world is so quiet that we can hear you know a lot of distractions are gone at those times so i think it's about trying to eliminate distractions in your day-to-day life uh like it is 2 a.m and try to sort of recreate that that period if you can in other times of your day yeah that's a good point because we're, I mean, we're constantly on our phones or yeah watching something, streaming something, listening to something. And then, you know, by by the time we're going to go to bed, it's all quiet yeah. and we can actually listen, hear our own That's thoughts. It. And then we start getting ideas and by that, and then we realize we need to go to bed. That's it. Exactly. Um, well, because I've always found, I try to, I used to kind of create more later at night. I do actually like being up, but I've, I found that it just kind of, ruins my day i'm not sure if that's why you you go to bed exactly uh early at nine but i just find that if i'm staying up late trying to do stuff yeah that's exactly and i I always find that if in the times and and for a long time there i used to use that sort of you know any time past 10 p.m till about 2 a.m that was sort of like a really juicy time of the night creatively but i used to find that then the following day i'd be just so wrecked by that um that then the whole day would be useless so I found that I just, um, you know, rearrange that a little bit. And often, you know, mm. different books will say that. They'll say that uh, you need to pick, you need to take control of your creativity and you need to pick which times are most convenient in your day and only in those times should you create uh, and you'll get yourself into a bit of a routine and patterns will emerge. Whether that's true or not, you know, there's some truth to it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could see that you – you you get gathering ideas and then you have that little slot in the day where mm. you can just let it all out. Yeah. So I, I guess I can see see the truth yeah. uh, in that. Not that you're not going to get ideas at different times yeah. of day. And I guess it depends. I I think I would find I'd be interested to hear what kind of your daily schedule is because I know you you taught for quite a while. I think yeah. uh, or or you you still yeah. teach. How uh, structured is your week? Uh, I'm really quite structured, um, and so in between teaching, um, I tend to, you know, obviously uh, any time that I'm not doing other things that I have to do, I'm usually writing stuff. I'm usually uh, writing ideas. I'm usually playing with, you know, different creative concepts, or or I'm usually meeting up with creative people uh, in order to either create future projects or, or connections for future projects. So most of my week is filled with creative stuff. Um, and then the rest of it is sort of the inconveniences of life. <laughs> Are there? Do you find it? Uh, yeah. This. Do you find it easier to create when you're collaborating with someone, or does it make much difference to you? Is you just working on your own uh, fine? Yeah. Well, it's tricky. I think that um, you know, it, collaboration is really important, and I think uh, it's all those relationships are great to. If you've got two people that, that are really passionate about the same topic and they've got similar writing practices uh, and they're on it together constantly, then you know it can work really nicely. Um, and it can almost, even if you are feeling a bit uninspired, the other person might help you feel inspired. So that can be quite useful. I think it comes down to me for uh, what sort of what sort of skills are required for the project. So. In some of my shows that are just 
mostly music, um, I've not collaborated with other people because my skill set is there. But in places where there are areas such as like script writing, which I don't see as one of my strengths and I re requires a lot of work and en energy and workshopping, I feel, in order to get my scripts to a, a place that I'm happy with. Um, so in that case, uh, if you don't have the skills, someone that you're collaborating with who does have the skills, it can be a really great marriage to be able to fill in each other's gaps. Um, but it will depend entirely on the project whether I want to work with someone else or whether I'll just write it myself. Yeah, right. And I guess it could kind of depend on how personal the, the show is to you as, as well, um, whether that's yeah, yeah. just kind of like your little, ba your little baby. Um, I remember that you were – you worked on a an, an opera. Was it last year? You kind of a one woman yeah. show, but it was, it was an opera. How did how yeah. did that come about? So um, a few years back, I was working with um, a, an opera singer and on a mm -hmm. on a completely different project. And her and I, uh, after the project was finished, we then uh, met up a coffee a few times or like every week or something. And she wanted to then write a one woman show. And for a few weeks, we just really got to know each other and we got to know what our values were, what our philosophies for life were, things we found interesting, whatever. And we found that both of us um, really were huge into the idea of, I, I guess, gender identity, gender roles, uh, mm -hmm. feminism, all of those sort of things. And so her and I over a period of time then uh, started to then use opera um, and turn op very well-known opera pieces and concepts into a one-woman show which explores the role of women through opera. And so often opera treats women hor just horribly. So so that was sort of the focus of the yes. show for us to look at through maybe like a – you remember this one? <laughs> No, it's just I've noticed that yeah, like pretty much every you know staple opera is just the the woman is kidnapped and thrown off a building or something horrible, yeah. and then saved by That's some it. guy. That's it. So I I can see where she's coming from. This is it. It's and uh, so really uh, really terrible stories in in opera across history that that yeah that just treat women terribly. So we wanted to then explore that in a one-woman show, so that's called Sempre Libera, and it features all the top-of-the-pops opera songs. Um, she had a, um, a performance of it last year, and then this year she had the official opening, uh, which had an all-female orchestra, uh, which was really exciting. Um, and so she will then, once COVID is out of the way, then she's booked for um, an American tour over about two years, I think. So... Uh, it's a really interesting show, and it, it's got some some really great philosophical stuff, and just really shines that sort of a light on on what we find entertaining. And so often, it, it's sort of the demise of women. Apparently, we've found entertaining for hundreds of years. I'm interested to hear what was the difference, some of the differences writing an opera compared to a musical. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I I had studied only a little bit of opera, so. It was exciting exploring all of the famous operas and, and pulling them apart a little bit. And um, opera structurally is a little bit different to musical theatre, but uh, there are a lot of crossovers. So ours, I guess, we were using opera, 
but bringing it more to sort of a cabaret type structure and and space, which um, yeah, is is really quite, I think, an interesting process. Um, so in that, I then wrote uh, one number. So it was only an, one original number in that, um, which is just a comedic number, which really just laughs at opera in every way it can. Um, and yeah. uh, the structure of the show isn't traditionally opera. So, uh, but it was it was sort of an right. interesting journey anyway. That one. Yeah, cool. Sounds fun. I was yeah, I was looking forward to seeing. Well, hopefully, I'll be able to see it uh, toward the end of the year. So with Musicals. I was wondering if, if you could, uh, you have a favourite musical, whether film or stage. If you could pick one, what would it be? Uh, well, there's probably a few that I could pick that mostly fit into Stephen Sondheim category. Oh, beautiful, awesome. Uh, well, you can name name a few. I mean, I love I love Company. It's one of my favourites. Yeah. So Company is yeah Company is is probably one of my favourites. Uh, so much that my show, The Things I Can Never Tell Stephen, references Company a few times because I love Company so much. Probably one of my favourites of his. Right. And was this was the Stephen inspired by Stephen Sondheim? Uh, not not directly, but of course I would think that there are, indirectly there's a lot of influence from Sondheim. <laughs> and how do you see, because we've had a bit of a resurgence in movie musicals, some have been pretty horrendous, such as Cats. If you love the film Cats, then that's okay. But um, <laughs> what, how do you – I mean, what do you think works putting a musical on film and what doesn't? Yeah, that's that's really a tricky thing, isn't it? Um, I, you know, I think there are some really great movie musicals uh, but then I think in, in recent years, there are just some shocking ones. And I just sort of, it's almost disappointing. And I often see some of these and, and just want my yeah, money back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just feel so ripped up. I think it's tricky because, you know, when, when you're writing for a live audience, it's a little bit different to, to writing for a movie, I would think. So I think that's the part that I sort of struggle with a little bit is that. Mm. I, I, it probably Cat is probably the worst one recently. <laughs> yeah, it's just woeful woeful yeah well look i mean i think cats was just cats is already kind of a weird show anyway i mean it's awesome um but then i yeah i think making it was just too they were too human i guess or but they mm-hmm. were miniaturized but they were too human it was no idea yeah, of scale it's just <laughs> a lot of weirdness and i heard that huge hugh jackman was because it's the same director as as Les Mis film, right? And he uh, he was he asked Hugh Jackman to be in it, and Hugh Jackman said no, and there, and there was an awkward silence. And I can and it can definitely understand why. I think you've really dodged totally. a bullet. There. I just, I, it baffled me when when they said that they were making it. I thought, why on earth would you want? Why would you waste your time? Like it's <laughs> it just to me makes no sense. No sense. Well, I think they've had, you know, they had the success of like Miz and, you know, then and The Greatest Showman was such a ridiculous mm. success. <laughs> Perhaps the producers hoped they'd get some, some yeah. good cash out of it. It did yeah. not. It failed. It was horrendous. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it, lesson it learned. It really comes down to that, doesn't it? I think this is a tricky part. Uh, cool. Uh, yeah, so I think 
just to kind of move towards a close, what about musicals do you love the most? Are there things about musicals that you just, that's what you love about it? Can you can you kind of pinpoint what excites you and energizes you yeah, about that's, them? Well, that's, that's sort of a, a fairly big question, really, isn't it? Uh, I guess there are so many things that, um, that so many things about musicals that I love. And I think uh, a lot of it does come down to we can explore in a really interesting way that I think other mediums can't. We can explore, you know, characters' humanity, you know, the characters' backstory, the the depth of their emotion. We can go right into their thoughts, uh, not just in sort of using words, but, but also using sounds and, and music and tones. And, you know, we, we can sort of, we can delve into characters, I think, in a way that uh, that maybe other mediums are maybe a bit more limited. Maybe uh, that's probably a very sort of broad generalization, but it's sort of that that uh, when musicals are able to do that and they're able to really delve into one character's experience, how they're feeling. Uh, that's that's really what I tend to love. I also tend to love um, when we have lots of things going on at once. That is like one of my favorite things about musicals. I love that. Yeah, great. All right, fantastic. Well, I think we'll uh, call it a day, Jai. Uh, thank you so much for having a chat with me. Um, really enjoyed it, uh, hearing hearing your wisdom and insight into the creative process. And hopefully, you know, this isolation phase uh, is eased soon. But it sounds like you're being incredibly creative in the meantime. So sounds like it's working out. Yeah, let's hope so. It for me it is. I just pity other people who may be, you know, really struggling at this time, at this particular point. But yes, absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jai, for joining me, and I look forward to seeing what you produce in the future. Sounds good. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for having me on today. Well, that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please like and follow me on Facebook and Instagram and tune in for next week's episode.